Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta. Drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Alvey's going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzie Alvey. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for an inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on TalkingChop.com. And this is a very special Top 30 Braves Prospects Rankings for Talking Chop Midseason Update Edition. And joining me to talk about what that means and what we've been working on over the past couple weeks now is my good buddy. You can follow him over on Twitter at GVDAC. Rav, Vidak, how are you? I am so thankful that this week is over. <laughs> it's the culmination it's, of everything we've basically been working on since the start of the season and then updating it throughout the season and trying to work together as a team, figuring out how everything meshes. It's I'm thankful it's over, and I really am proud of the product we put out there this time. Yeah, this one, I mean, I always say it every, like every time. Every list is hard, right? Like it's uh, it's – and they're hard for different reasons. Sometimes you're having trouble picking between – like picking the top prospect or – you know, deciding kind of who's going to be a top 10 guy or, you know, maybe it's the back end of the list. This list had some unique difficulties in that we had to figure out what to make of the information that we got from this year, which, as it turns out, wasn't a particularly easy task because when you have a basically a year off like these guys had, you know, what do their struggles mean? What do their successes mean? Because other guys on other teams are struggling and, you know, the, the quality of play across minor league baseball in general has been, uh, very, I would say, I would call it, I wouldn't call it bad. I would call it uneven and I would call it like difficult, especially at the lower levels to kind of evaluate, like, is this guy struggling because he just hasn't played in a year or is he struggling because he's not very good? And is he succeeding? Is a guy succeeding because he's going against guys who aren't very good? And, you know, the the weird scheduling stuff has kind of made it where, like, we see guys go against some bad teams, and they go against them for a week, and they go wild. Um, what does that mean? And kind of evaluating all those things. So for those who aren't aware of what we're talking about, uh, this past week, our, over on TalkingChop.com, we have been rolling out what has been a, uh, a biannual tr- tradition of uh, our top 30 prospect rankings. We put one out preseason, which is usually early January. And we also put one mid-season. Now, this particular season was weird because what we used to do 
was we would uh, put this out during the All-Star break. Now, the problem is is that, one, we kind of want to highlight the All-Star break a bit more just as a site in general, and two, the draft was happening during the All-Star break, and there was no way, it was never going to happen, that we were going to be able to write up all these guys and be able to cover the draft the way we wanted to, so we had to push things. Uh, after talking with you know our boss, Chris, and kind of talking amongst ourselves, we kind of decided that pushing until after the trade deadline made the most sense because, you know, if moves were made, then guys would get added or removed from the list, and we could actually kind of incorporate all those guys, you know, into our into our thoughts before, before we actually put the list out. Um, and before we kind of talk about the list itself and where we were with our rankings and kind of how we feel about certain things, uh, we do have some things to talk about regarding the trade deadline. Uh, first is that, you know, and this kind of goes back to a week or two before the trade deadline too, is that the Braves actually did trade away some prospects or guys that, and guys that we certainly considered prospects at one point. Uh, Alex Jackson, Ricky DeVito, Casey Kallick, Bryce Ball, Mason Byrne, and Bryce Wilson all have new teams. Uh, and that's a, that's a lot of bl- new blood. Uh, I will say, for those who are wondering, uh, Ajax was the only one that was going to be on our top 30. Uh, he was at, at, towards the back end with DeVito, Kallick, well, well, Ball would have probably still stayed in the top 30. He was traded well before we actually made the, like, actually did the rankings themselves. I imagine he still would have stuck around too, now that I kind of think about it. Um, but, uh, DeVito and Calic were firmly in our honorable mentions. Mason Byrne, not anywhere to be found whatsoever. And Bryce Wilson obviously had graduated. Uh, so, Grav, I want to talk, kind of pick your brain a little bit. What were your kind of thoughts about the guys that the Braves traded away? Is there anyone that you're really going to miss, or do you think any of those deals in particular were really good for the Braves? Hey, I really do think every single one of them was almost overwhelmingly in favor of the Braves. Uh, being able to get someone like Richard uh, Richard Rodriguez, who is a, an elite, an elite bullpen arm, and have him under team control for two and a half years, and all you really give up is a is a fringe MLB player in Ricky Devito, who I I really do like his splitter, but he's pretty far away, and it seems like he's most likely destined to be a reliever. Uh, that's that seems just like an and, and Bryce Wilson who really didn't have a role within the organization. Now he had the chance to kind of flourish over in Pittsburgh and really challenge for that rotation spot. So as a as a trade that worked out for both parties, but for the Braves in particular, it seems like it's overwhelmingly in favor of them. Uh the Jock Peterson for Bryce Ball trade, again, I, I really don't understand it from a Chicago standpoint. Um yeah, they traded away uh Anthony Rizzo, so it's like is he trying to open up a spot but Bryce Ball is still has a 600 OPS uh, in the Cubs organization ever since the trade. He wasn't performing at the highest level here either. I, I do agree that he most likely would have been in the top 30, but instead of firmly being in, you know, top 18 or above, he most likely would have slid somewhere to the bottom half. Uh, yeah, like these are all every single trade that the that the Braves made it seems like it was overwhelmingly in favor for the Braves. I'm not exactly sure what these other teams were looking at in particular. Uh, but again, I am a Braves fan, so I'm not going to sit here and be critical of any of, of a single one. I'm just going to sit here and, and enjoy kind of what Anthopolis was able to pull off in the, in the last few minutes of the, of the deadline. Yeah, I know that uh, Garrett in particular was a little bit, uh, I wouldn't say crazy upset, but like a little bit hurt to lose Alex Jackson, who I think could have been a, a serviceable backup. But I don't think people fully understand just how bad his hit tool is, particularly at the major league level. Like he was going to strike out like 40 or 50% of the time in the major leagues. That's just what's he gonna, what he's going to be. Now, there's no doubting 
doubting his like raw power. And when he's at triple A, you know, he'll have one game where he hits three home runs and everyone's like, call him up now. He should be starting every day. And then, you know, they just don't watch him. You know, they, 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 they're, they're Twitter followers of the minor leagues, right? Like they only, when they see a tweet about a guy, then they must mean that that's what he must be constantly doing all the time. When, if you're watching Alex Jackson, you see that, you know, he basically disappears for a week and a half at a time. And that's just kind of who he is. Um, as a, as a hitter, uh, he really came a long way in terms of his catching. I hope he does well down there in Miami, but getting Adam Duvall a real bat that can, you know, kind of allow for some platoon type stuff and kind of lengthen that lineup a bit. That's, that's pretty easy. Um, and again, when you get like guys like Richard Rodriguez and Jorge Soler, who's been really good, Jock Peterson, and you gave up guys who, I mean, they weren't, I mean, Bryce Ball was a guy that we liked early on, but it's just like he was really struggling to kind of, he was, he was having trouble hitting velocity and he, and he was having trouble kind of like timing up breaking balls. And that's just a bad combination. He's you know, a lot of strikeouts and deep counts. You know, he's trying to be patient and then would get impatient late in counts. It's just, it was, it was a frustrating situation to watch because you thought that he had a really better feel for the bat than he did this year. And again, that might just come down to just take that time off really kind of hurting him. And for a guy that's as old as he is, he doesn't have the luxury of just, you know, having to kind of start over and, you know, figure things out again. Uh, Casey Callick was a guy, was a reliever that we did like. Uh, and, you know, for Kansas City, that's the situation where they feel like they might be getting a good closer. But again, you get some more power bats into the Braves lineup right now. These are, this, these are easy decisions. And in the case of Mason Byrne, he was like 25 years old in the rookie ball, in rookie ball. He was not a, he was not a prospect to me at all. And people were, people were still like, well, they traded two, two first basemen, uh, before the trade deadline. That must mean they're going to keep Freddie Freeman as if Mason Burns future has any bearing on that deal at all. You know what I mean? Uh, I will miss Bryce Wilson though. I, I think that he's better than he's given credit for. Um, I, I, I do wish that the secondaries had developed more, but ultimately the issue the Braves have is just that they have so many young arms and a lot of them are performing well. And it was hard to envision a world where Bryce was going to get an opportunity in the rotation before some of these other guys were. So that just gives him an opportunity to do well in Pittsburgh and gets the Braves a reliever who's good, who should be quite good. Uh, I mean, the stuff wise, you kind of look at Rodriguez and you're like, you know, how's he so good? But it's just that he's really deceptive and it's kind of hard to pick up his fastball in particular for hitters. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of pop ups and, you know, like weak fly balls from him. So, Again, these are great trades. These are guys that we like. We had, we certainly thought the Braves had some value with them, but ultimately I think that they did really well for themselves at the deadline to trade those guys. Uh, friendly reminder, Brave, Alex Anthopoulos has not traded a top 10 Braves prospect since his entire time as a GM. And so I guess we have to wait, continue that wait to see if he actually ends up making that move going forward. Um, at what was a very, very busy trade deadline, we saw a lot of like big time prospects and big time players getting moved around. Uh, and the Braves still have most if not all of their top prospects. So uh, a few other news notes before we kind of get into the rankings discussion uh, is that, uh, Gaurav, I know this is going to come as a shock to you, but Alan Ranhell is not a member of the Rome Braves anymore. I'm kind of shocked. I'm so happy for him. He's been in Rome for so long. It seems like he's always been like the inning leader. And sure enough, he's had a fantastic 2021, and now he's – up in Mississippi, unfortunately, Wayne can no longer drive out and watch every single start like he used to. Uh, I'm going to say a couple of prayers for Wayne. Yeah. I'm sure he's going to miss seeing him. Yeah. Uh, don't don't worry. Uh, based on the odds, he's going to be basically writing up most of the Ron Hell recaps. So for those who aren't aware, it seemed like every time that Wayne Cavati, uh, who would make a trip to Rome to watch to watch players, almost every time on the mound was Alan Ron Hell, and this is over a, like several years. Uh, Ron Howell did get bumped up to high A, but didn't mean to be moved to any cities. He just moved up with Rome. We've made a lot of jokes that he's a part-time owner of the Rome Braves at this point. Um, but did get bumped up to double A. Uh, not the best start to his double A career, to be sure. 
but I, I'm glad to at least see him kind of getting some love. And he, he, you know, he's he's been racking up strikeouts and has lately been quite good for the Braves uh, down in High A. So I hope he I hope succeeds down there. Uh, and another guy who was called up fairly recently was Freddie Tarnock from Rome. Looked excellent at Rome since he got activated from the IL and has been killing it at Double A Mississippi too. You know, even when games like he doesn't have like his command, like his last start, he just like didn't really have his command. Curveball was kind of going all over the place. He still performed very well, so that's really heartening to see and maybe a bit of a foreshadowing as to kind of what we think of him in terms of our in terms of our rankings coming up. Uh, a few notes: uh, we did have some of the 2021 draft class uh, assigned, which was. Uh, uh, Malloy, Conley, Hoffman, Tolvi, and Hoffman were all signed to the Augusta Green Jackets. Thank God that there's actually a reason to watch that team right now because they've been pretty rough other than Von Grissom and Joey Estes for quite a while now. Uh, and Dylan Spain, uh, our own Garrett Spain's cousin, uh, as well as Anderson De Los Santos uh, were assigned to the Florida Coast League among some other players. And we did have some releases in Carlos Paraguate, Jose Bermudez, Charles Reyes, and Cody Birdsong were released to make room for some of those guys. Uh, it's worth noting that with the restrictions on minor league roster size, we're gonna, we were going to ultimately see some releases. Uh, we, we could still see some more as more guys get assigned. So, uh, Grav, any of those names kind of speak out, uh, kind of uh, stand out to you that you kind of want to talk about? None of these guys that were released necessarily were for really considered prospects. Uh, it is just unfortunate, you know, with the loss of Danville and, and no, you know, Dominican Summer League, uh, that a lot of these players who likely would have stayed within the organization no longer have the space. Uh, because they're so fringe, you know, it really remains to be seen if they're going to be signed by other teams. You know, it might be the end of the road for a couple of them, uh, which really, really does suck. I, I really do hate uh, the, the, the lessening or the the overall changes in minor league baseball this year, it is unfortunate because, you know, it's their dream and you never want to see people's dream end. So not, I'm not necessarily losing any sleep because again, these guys were not, none of them were really prospects and with any kind of path to the majors. But it, again, it, it's just, it, 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 you never want to see someone, uh, someone's dream potentially end. And it is definitely possible for a couple of them. For sure. Uh, and like, you know, it's tough for us because I mean, you, like us four when we were down in Florida, I mean, we saw Jose Bermudez like debut as a pro. You know what I mean? And he's like making good plays out there in center field. I remember like, I remember like, you know, far more vividly than I would have, would have thought. But you know, again, you wish that he would have, you know, been able to develop and you could kind of like be able to follow his entire career trajectory. But this is a reminder that, you know, the minor leagues is a meat grinder and a lot of guys don't pan out. A lot of guys that in this 2021 draft class are not going to pan out and that's just what's going to happen. Um, but ultimately, you know, we're, we're happy to have been able to follow him at least for this short period of time that we're able to follow some of these guys. Uh, a couple names that I do want to highlight though. Uh, Justin Henry Malloy, uh, is a guy that was, you know, so, someone that we thought highly of. Cal Conley, um, is another one, and uh, Caleb Durbin is a guy that I, multiple people within the Braves have told me that to keep an eye on him. Uh, as the guys that like who were recently assigned, that again, it's after a long college season and it's in their draft year, so I wouldn't read too much into results necessarily. But these are all guys who we think have some real upside that could do some and could do some real work. Um, and we'll talk more about the Spencer Schwallenbach injury. He did have, he does have an undergo Tommy John surgery uh, that was announced earlier this week. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we kind of get into the rankings. Uh, that's kind of that's kind of a big topic for us as that 
happened. Uh, but we didn't think necessarily he was going to be pitching a whole lot this year anyway. I expect the same to be for Ryan Kusick. And Dylan Dodd is a bit more of a – it sounds like it's a bit more up in the air as to what they're going to do. My initial understanding was that he wasn't going to pitch much this season because he had already pitched quite a bit in college this year. But then I heard some rumors that he might actually be assigned somewhere soon. So well, these are those are kind of the names that we're kind of monitoring going forward with this draft class as to where they're going to be uh, placed. Uh, and another name that I forgot to mention for the FCL is that Tyler Collins was was assigned down there as well. So we might actually get to see some stats from him uh, as one of the kind of the higher prep, sop, higher prep bats that were overslot, was an overslot signing on day two. So, again, worth mentioning, that's kind of the, the newsy stuff that we have for, for this episode. We're going to get back to kind of the usual format of breaking down the levels or and or doing mailbag type questions uh, this coming Monday, but we wanted to kind of make sure we had time to focus on the rankings that we were posting. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break to listen to a word from our sponsors. All right, Gaurav, it is time to top... Talk top 30, talking chop, Braves prospects. This is a, a, a kind of a wild list to make. And uh, for those who aren't aware, the way we make the list is that uh, all, all of us, Garrett Spain, Gaurav Vidak, Matt Powers, Wayne Cavati, and myself, all make our own personal rankings. And we then what, then what I do is I drop the highest and lowest for each ranking for each guy and make a composite from the remaining votes. And I was shocked – I, I guess I shouldn't have been because of where the difficulties I had making my list personally, but I was shocked, like the middle list, how close it was, and as well as the variability of the names that were at the back end of the list. So, but kind of before we kind of get into more specifics, what did you have any overarching thoughts of once once you saw the final list? Is kind of what you were thinking? Yeah, absolutely. I think the the biggest thing for me is the infusion of you know high ceiling youth like high ceiling, super young players, you know, you add someone like Tyler Collins, who we all know we, the, the, what was it? I think you said that Dana Brown compared him to uh, Kenny Lofton, you know, that's incredibly lofty praise, incredibly, incredibly lofty praise for any kind of player. Uh, But, you know, Caden Morton, Adam Shoemaker, Tyler Collins, uh, Smith Shaver, you know, all these kinds of players, uh, Joey Estes as well, that are super young and super, uh, super new to professional baseball, making their, uh, you know, making their names known throughout the organization. These are high ceiling players that the Braves have sorely missed because of sanctions, not being able to sign a bunch of people. Uh, typically you'll see the, you know, the super high ceiling talents come out from the uh, international signing period, which the Braves weren't able to capitalize in so long. And it's starting to somewhat come together uh, the last couple of years. It's been clear that they've wanted uh, a little bit more mature, more people that have been playing that have played through college in the first couple of rounds, and they've gone all in on the youth movement. And I really, really love it. There's so many players that you know, not even listed here, that have high potential, and it's just nice to be able to talk about, you know, go over and turn on an Augusta game, you know, potentially next year, and see someone like uh, Smith Shaver in there, and you know, see see someone like Tyler Collins who you know what he could potentially be. It's just, it's it's nice to have the lottery tickets again. And that's something that's really, really missed from the Braves organization because of the sanctions that they've faced over the past, uh, I don't even know, it seems like a decade. I know it's not that long, but it seems like it. Uh, so we're starting to really kind of see a rebound for the organization in terms of uh, 
the the depth of high end prospects. And over the next couple of years, you'll see them really go all out. I, re- I really really can't wait for the next international signing period that the Braves can really go in all uh, all in on. Um, but what we saw was, you know, a lot of players on the higher end the past couple of years that have been knocking on the door. And then, uh, you know, the Acuna, uh, of course, you got Acuna, Ozzy, all of them that have made their debuts that are still young in their in their MLB careers, but still young in terms of number of years that they've been on this planet. All of them graduated and you saw there's going to be a big gap in terms of players that are ready for that next wave. And, of course, Kyle Muller was probably at the top of that list, and, and a Drew Waters is right there, too. But then you see that gap, and you're like, okay, what's the next huge wave of Braves prospects that we can really monitor over the next couple of years and see how they develop? And that's been missing for quite some time, at least for me. But, you know, based on these last oh, – you can't really say the 2020 draft because it was only five rounds, but the 2019 and the 2021 – you see those infusion of toolsy young players where they are potential lottery tickets. Any single one of these guys can be extremely gifted, can find themselves in the majors. And it's just nice to have that kind of youth movement again. So again, I'm, I'm excited about 2022. I want to see the international signing period and I want to continue this really nice wave of infusing the talent with high ceiling, uh, lottery tickets and that's exactly what it seemed like Dana Brown was trying to do this year and again in 2019 especially 2019 when you see the likes of you know Backstrom and uh at the near the top of our list Michael Harris already number three which is just absurd to even think about so for me that there was the one of the difficulties I had was how to evaluate what is a fairly a significant chunk of the Braves pitchers that have real reliever risk. And, you know, that that's what ultimately happened kind of towards the middle of our list is that, you know, if you gave – if one one guy had a guy as like a 60% chance of being a starter and another guy has a 40% chance of staying as a starter, that affected his rank a whole bunch. And so outside of our top six prospects, which were Pache, Waters, Harris, Muller, Langulars, and Strider, which everyone was pretty much were like kind of – generally on the same page. The order of a lot of those guys was different uh, in some respects. Um, Pache wasn't even a a consensus number one this go-around, uh, and that's just concerns over that hit tool of his and whether or not he's actually going to be an impact bat. But after that, I mean, like, T- Tucker Davidson, I, I was the, the, the low man on Tucker this go-around just because I have concerns about, you know, some of the secondaries as well as kind of what that injury kind of portends for him long-term as to whether or not he's going to stick around as a starter. But, you know, beyond that, I mean, like, Let's just say that Tucker is a reasonable like consensus number seven, but after that, from from number eight to number fifteen, which was oddly enough the Braves' two picks in this twenty-one draft, in Spencer Schwellenbach and Ryan Kusick, the difference was a total of nine points between those. That's nothing. Like there's just there was so much variability here. Uh, like you know Victor Vodnik, like he had multiple top ten votes. But there's also those of us who thought that maybe there's real reliever risk and he hasn't – with the injury, you wonder if he's going to hold up with a starter's, a starter's workload. And, you know, but if he makes it as a starter, that's like a guy who's thrown close to 100 and he can look really, really good. Uh, Freddie Tarnock has really kind of turned things around. We might have ranked Vaughn Grissom at 12 too low. Uh, we have actually ranked this before we started going wild for a week and a half. And now it feels like he may be more of a top 10 guy. Spencer Schwellenbach, as we mentioned, uh, he is a – 
you know, he just had Tommy John surgery and I think he had enough consistent love that he was a top 10 guy, but now that he's had the Tommy John surgery, you don't have to make that many adjustments to his ranking, you know, even a few spots lower, just be like, hey, you know, he needs that time to convert to a starter and he's going to have less of that now. That could change the rankings of a whole bunch of guys in this middle part, this middle part, uh, which was kind of one of the difficulties I had. And the other part, the other thing I've kind of noticed is, and I, I think you'll agree here, is how not firm any of my rankings past like number six or number seven felt it's like you know i could make an argument for a lot of these guys being five spots higher or lower you know what i mean and that was really hard to kind of reconcile it's like you know you do your best but because of the lack of information from last year and kind of what to make of the information that we're seeing this year combined with some fairly like really uneven performances like jesse franklin was genuinely terrible for a month and a half Braden shoemake was genuinely terrible for like two months and both of those guys are really hitting well right now. Now, is that which where where does that what does that data tell us, right? And I just it was it felt uncomfortable for me to make really broad sweeping generalizations about any of these guys. So when people are like, you know, I wish that this guy was a little bit higher, I'm like, yeah, you could make that argument for sure. You know what I mean? Uh, how do you evaluate a Makai Backstrom who wasn't at the alternate alternate site, who we love the talent of, we we genuinely love the amount of talent that this kid has, but. He still has yet to force his way onto an Augusta roster that is genuinely bad. And is how much of that's his fault? Is that, that they just want to give him at bats, uh, at, at the FCL with some kind of on hand instructors down there? Or is that something that's indicative of what their plans for him and what they think of him going forward? Uh, and again, a bit of a split camp with that, right? It's just, you just don't really know what he's going to be. Uh, and then slotting in the draft picks is always kind of a difficult thing. We, 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 I think we did pretty well to kind of make sure there was a lot of those draft pick names that were highlighted. I think the Braves did, I tend to agree with you that the Braves did well to kind of go after some upside and some risk to add to this organization. Uh, for those who think that like just because they picked college arms and stuff like that, that doesn't mean that they're, they're, they're being risk averse. I strongly disagree with this particular draft class. I don't think they could have made many picks that were riskier than Ryan Kusick and Spencer Schwellenbach. Uh, for your one and two picks in this draft. Um, again, there's real reliever, reliever risk with both those guys. And you'll see with Kusick being ranked down there at 15, a lot of us kind of landed on, we think that there's a real chance that he ends up as a reliever. And typically because relievers don't have that, like there's so much volatility with that demographic and they don't have the impact of a, like a position player or a starting pitcher. We don't generally rank them very highly. And, you know, we, I think the highest we've ever rated a reliever was AJ Minter and he can't hang on to a major league job right now. And Minter was awesome at the higher levels of the minor leagues. And now it's, you know, it's, it's debatable as to kind of what the Braves think of him going forward at all. So, uh, those were kind of the, the, my overall takeaways is just kind of, it was a really difficult list because it didn't feel like for a big chunks of the list that there were really, well-defined differences between a lot of these guys at all. So uh, for you, Gaurav, I guess the next question I have is, what was the most surprising result for you in terms of looking at the list? I think the the biggest one for me, especially if you if you talk about the start of the season compared to now, it's Spencer Strider, right? He's, he's found his way into the top six. Uh, at the beginning of the year, if you would have told me, I would have – aggressively ranked Spencer Strider as high as I did, I would have said you're crazy, but his three, you know, his, he came to show, he came to camp or came to 
the games this year, showing a much improved changeup. And with that changeup, he becomes a three-pitch pitcher with three potential above-average pitches. And all of a sudden, he's still pumping 96 on the mound regularly, deep into games. And all, you know, it's just... I, I never would have foreseen something like this. I, I liked the pick when the Braves made it in the in the draft, uh, but I expected a much much more. What's the best way to say? It? I expected it to take a lot longer than it did for someone coming off a Tommy John surgery back in 2019. All of a sudden, you know, the command is typically the last thing to come, and while he his walks have gone up in Mississippi, uh, it's not something I really think is an issue. But like, I never in a thousand a thousand years would have said, I think Spencer Strider is top 10 in our mid-season 2021 list. I, I, by far, that's got to be the biggest one for me. Uh, outside of that, you know, just having your second round pick actually ranked higher than your first round pick, Schwell and Bach over Cusick. Uh, I think all of us are in agreement. It's mainly because of the reliever risk with Cusick. I think we all like him as a pitcher, you know, coming in, uh, I think the reports out of Wake where him hitting 102 with his fastball, like, yeah, you can't teach that. There's Nothing. There's no amount of preparation you can do in the gym that will help you get 102. That's just someone that's worked hard at that craft, but also is just blessed to have be able to do something like that. But there's, you know, there is a lot of reliever risk there. So it's, uh, that's probably like most likely what most people are, are most shocked about. I would have to say, uh, is having your second round pick actually above that. Um, outside of that, you know, having Harris at three, I think was kind of a no-brainer in our minds. Uh, you could make a case that he could be number two because of that hit tool with Pache. You don't, you just simply don't know what you have. Uh, it's looking more and more like I, we thought that he might be, you know, a high, a high average, low power player, but it's not really looking like that as much anymore. It looks more like a, you know, someone that's going to have to live off of just trying to get on base and then using his speed to get over and that type of thing. So uh, those are probably uh, the first two, of course, are, are definitely the biggest for me. Um, but I would love to know from you. I'm, uh, I remember when you sent me over this questionnaire, I was like, okay, I want to see what Eric was thinking for this particular question. Uh, Tavares, as high as, he, as high as he is, is really interesting. You know, I think a lot of us are just basing this off of YouTube videos. So having him, in like the top, the top 20 or the top 30 is, is an interesting suggestion from us because we haven't seen him. He's not going to play until next year because there's no, uh, DSL, uh, this year either. So there's a, uh, I think a lot of this list could still move again, even having Trey Harris where he is. I thought a lot of us expected him to be slightly higher, but him not hitting at all this year or to at least begin the year definitely impacted that and put serious questions on his hit tool as well. And then finally, you know, Estes, Joey Estes showing up this year. He's been absolutely fantastic for Augusta. Him and Vodnik have been pretty much best case scenario for both of them. And I couldn't be happier watching either one of them. So having them right outside the top, you know, the, the top 10 with a chance to really jump in there probably next year is something that I wouldn't have thought of. Estes when he was drafted was, you know, you know, he had four pitches. None of them really were or like three pitches. I can't remember. I think he had the scouting report on him when he first came out was the three pitch mix with fastball slider being by far his best. And it, it all came down to command. And then he comes here and he's got a walk rate under four. 
in his first full season. It's not what you expect either. So, like, just seeing some of these players really show up and, and has made this list this year in particularly really, really difficult because it's not stuff that you normally see. Like, the people that jumped, jumped a whole lot. And then the people that fell, they fell because of concerns that they already had, and it, they've been exploited this year, which makes you really, really wonder about their future. So it's it's been like you said earlier it's it's it was a particularly hard year this year you know no no data from 2020 not being able to talk to anybody having people show up and really show out having others kind of show you that's who they are as a prospect it's there's a lot there were a ton of variables and to say this is set in stone would be totally wrong i i think even at the end of the season, we might see changes. Of course, we're not going to be putting out a postseason list, but I could totally see changes being being made, you know, in just a few weeks as we get more and more eyes on or be just being able to watch these players more because, again, we're basing a lot of this on uh, things that we've seen this year, which is a small sample, and then 2019. So it's just it's – it's been really, really difficult. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much all I got to say on that. So for me, there's like two classifications of surprises, right? There's the, if you had asked me preseason, what I would have been surprised to see and what I would have been surprised to see after, like immediately after running the composite. And for me, like you, you mentioned the big one, Spencer Strider being a top six prospect in our system, uh, was considering we didn't rank him, uh, a very big deal, uh, in terms of that. But like, you know, based on his performance and kind of the stuff that we're seeing from him, uh, I wasn't surprised when the composite ran, but, I certainly, if you had said, you know, back in February, hey, Spencer Strider's going to be a top six prospect in the system, I probably would have laughed at you. Uh, conversely, uh, on the other end of the spectrum, seeing Jaciel De La Cruz being ranked all the way down to 21 uh, is kind of one of those others. If you'd asked me that at the preseason, I thought he was going to be pushing for a rotation spot. I've always liked that curveball of his. Uh, I think that the fastball is live too. Uh, unfortunately, he's had, he's been genuinely bad this year. Uh, has had a lot of issues with command, and then when he backs off on the command, backs off on the stuff to try to command his pitches more, he gets hit really hard. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent certain he's he's completely healthy. He just doesn't look like the same pitcher to me at all. Um, you know, now I'm almost firmly in the camp that he is on the path to being a reliever. And if the stuff doesn't take up, I'm not sure if he'd be a particularly good one if he was a reliever. So. It's that, that, that's been kind of a tough thing, but definitely a surprise for me in terms of my preseason expectations. Uh, I, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised by this, but, cause I knew that I was like getting higher and higher on Tarnock as time was going on, but it seemed like everyone was kind of on the same page that he's just outside the top 10. And coming into the season, I was almost completely off of trying to cover Tarnock at all in terms of like a real prospect. You know, maybe like a fringy guy down at the very bottom, but, you know, to like see what he's been able to do and develop and really turn into. And so now he's like in double A and he's like striking out a ton of guys and just looking really, really good. Something that was a bit surprising. I was a little bit surprised by the, the, the consensus that Schwellenbach over Kusick was. I thought there was going to be more of a split camp there. Uh, and that was going to be closer. But again, the gap in the rankings is not representative of the gap in, in talent. Cause again, the difference is only nine points. Like, like the difference between like Spencer Schwalbach and then Schuster was like one point, And then like Jesse Franklin was two points and like Tarnock was like one point. Grissom was one point. So it's just like, so very little has to change at all for these rankings to get completely jumbled up again. So, um, but I was a little bit surprised that there wasn't, uh, I think a more, Love for Kusick potentially as a starter. And that just comes down to the fact that there's just a lot of skepticism about that third pitch and his command uh, as to whether or not he ends up as a reliever. It's not that relievers don't have value. It's just that 
they don't have nearly as much value as I think people give them credit for. So you need good relievers, uh, but there's no guarantee at all that Kusick would even be a good reliever. And once you get into that reliever mix, that stock, your stock becomes far more volatile, uh, as a player. Beyond that, I mean, like, you know, with, with Tavares, with Ambioris Tavares is, was an interesting case because I had to kind of think back as to where I ranked Pache and Cruz back when he was, they were first signed as I kind of seem as very similarly ranked international prospects. And we don't know a ton about Tavares, but we talking to enough people who are smart and, you know, just kind of doing as much research as we can. It felt like that early to like, you know, either really late teens to early twenties was the right spot to rank him just in terms of like, you know, you recognize the talent, you recognize that he is a top IFI, IFA guy, but you don't necessarily know where you're going to put him. So I don't know if I'd call that surprise. It's just that I was very uncertain as to where everyone else was going to rank him. Um, beyond that, nothing was crazy surprising to me. Uh, just because again, I, I, there was, I knew there was going to be a bunch of split camps on guys just because of the nature of what kind of players they are. Uh, and I was heartened to see a lot of, uh, the 2021 draft class, uh, being included in, especially towards the bottom end of the, the class. Cause I think the bottom end of the list is cause I think of those guys are really, really, they, had, they really got some really interesting players, uh, on day two and day three. And I'm glad that we were able to include a good chunk of them. Um, so next is, uh, Garav. Pache is likely, I think, to graduate the top three list by mid-season next year. Who do you think is the favorite to take over that spot once he is no longer eligible? The the easy answer is Drew Waters. Uh, Five-tool player. He's got everything you could possibly want. It's just, can he hit? Same question as Pasha. Uh, he's turned it on a little recently, a little more recently. I think he's sitting almost, uh, you know, somewhere on 700s in his OPS. So he's, he's definitely gotten a little hotter as the season go on, but I think he's definitely the easiest to project being the number one. If you wanted a harder decision, you know, if, if Michael Harris comes out next year and the season starts hitting for more power, if you see that walk rate tick up and then next year starts hitting the ball, you know, at the very, very beginning of the season starts hitting the, the cover off the ball and shows off the power, shows off the speed that I think he's got two caught stealings so far this year, 19 and 19 steals, two caught stealings. He's played left center and right. He's shown, much, much improved route running with balls in the air. Uh, his arm has been fantastic. If he's able to hit and hit well and hit for power, you could see him leapfrog uh, Drew Waters because his hit tool is more advanced. And, again, the fact that I'm able to say that for someone who is 19 years or 20 years old is absolutely absurd, but that's the kind of talent that he has. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, easy answer, Drew Waters, the one that I – kind of almost want to happen because I believe in him as a prospect a little more. And that's not a slight Andre Waters, who I think is still, he's, he's easily a top 100 player. He's a, a top 75 player, probably even, you know, top 60 in all of uh, professional baseball. He's still an elite player, an elite prospect, but someone that I believe in slightly more has got to be Michael Harris simply because of that one, the, the IQ, he, he's, phenomenal baseball mind it's just you could you could sit there and talk baseball with him all like all day and he'll have an answer for everything uh on top of that it's just that hit tool i believe in slightly more than drew yeah i actually think that harris might be the favorite and simply because i think it's more likely that he takes a big step forward than drew waters is if that makes any sense because with waters there's you know I, i i still really like him obviously but i also there's a bit of a floor with him, and you wonder how much, how big of a step forward he can take at this point because he's played at AAA for a while now, and he certainly has games where he's really good, but 
you wonder if maybe he starts flattening out a bit in terms of his development, whereas in Harris's case, you could see him, like, very minor changes. Uh, he has kind of some weird things going on with his profile. Like, all five of his home runs this year have been on the road for Harris, and I don't really know what to make of that type of information, uh, but we've seen upticks in his walk rate, and he's just had a consistently good hit tool all year long. I think that there's a real chance that by midseason next year, assuming that Pache is no longer eligible, and even if Pache is not hitting well at all, and he's still in the minor leagues next year, I could like this felt like a very soft number one, right? Like this felt like a, a spot where like like you know, we're getting close to the point where other players are really challenging Pache, and I could see Harris making that jump. I think a bit more likely than Waters, I think, but it's very close. And you know, again with Drew's case, I think that people forget just how good of a prospect he is right now. Um, you know, switch hitters with that kind of power and that kind of speed with the ability to play in the outfield, you just don't see very often. Um, there are certainly some issues that I have with his approach at times and his swing can be inconsistent, but you know, I think that Waters is a much better player than he's given credit for, for sure. Um, so, um, next up is, uh, just a general question and we won't linger too long here. Uh, what are your thoughts on including relievers in the top 30? I, I, I understand their impact on the major league team, on, on like a major league roster, but in terms of future value and just the pure risk, I'm not a huge fan of including relievers, unless it's someone like, like an AJ Minter, who was absolutely fantastic, you know, Mississippi on up. He was elite. You knew he was going to be in the show. You, you saw both those pitches. You saw no one could hit his fastball or his slider. It was dynamic. It was, fun to watch it was almost must watch minor league baseball when he was on the mound but those are they just don't happen that often you can have a player like a dylan lee who is in triple a this year who had a walk rate under one but then he's still not getting any kind of looks in the majors because it's just one the the difference between relieving in the minors and relieving in the majors is so different because you tend to it's just for a host of number of reasons but yeah, I, I just I personally don't like to because of their general impact on the game itself, if that makes sense. So for me, a guy ending up as a reliever is kind of an endpoint. Like you know, the guy, guys generally don't start off as relievers. Like that's just kind of like the the last resort because everyone kind of starts off as a starter in a lot of ways. Um, but moreover than that, it's just that the demographic is so volatile. And how do I put it? It's just, I, I guess it's the best way is kind of how you were saying it. It's just that even a good reliever, a good one, is worth like two war, right? <laughs> like, and that's a good reliever at the major exactly. league level. Um, and you don't necessarily see them impacting the game as much as you would think that they would overall. And so, like, that, that's not a knock on what we think. Like, as relievers, Indigo Diaz, uh, when Casey Calico is part of the organization, Daisbel Hernandez is another guy. Like, these are all guys that we like for sure. We do like them. But I think that people are overestimating, like, wow, this guy's striking out so many guys at double A. He's going to be a great part of the Braves bullpen going forward. That is not how that works at all. If A.J. Minter, like, if you look at what A.J. Minter was doing to people when he was in the minor leagues and he wasn't hurt, you won't find a guy who felt more like a sure thing as a reliever, as a prospect. And he is struggling to stay on the major league roster. It is really hard to establish yourself as a consistent value as a major league reliever. It really is. Whereas a guy that can establish himself as a number four of a number five starter, and it doesn't even be like, this has to be okay. You know, like a four ERA, like we'll throw five or six innings seems is reasonable, right? 
that guy is significantly more value than the vast majority valuable than the vast majority of relievers that you'll see out there. Um, and again, I think Minter, I think we, we, we've had relievers on our list in the past, but there has not been a lot of them. And I think that when you're looking for like, what about the relief candidates in this list? You need to look at the guys who have real, who are currently starters, who have real reliever risk. So that guy's like Ryan Kusick, Spencer Schwellenbach, Victor Vodnik, Jocelyn De La Cruz. Like those are the kind of guys that we almost think more highly of in terms of relievers simply because of where they are at right now in terms of their development. But you know, the guys who are kind of already in the reliever mold, that's a really volatile place to be. And it's just, again, we like them as relievers, but it's just not, it's not the same thing, I guess is how I best. And when, whenever I'm making my list, I'm like, am I really going to put this guy in a top 30 when I'm not, I mean, he's, he's basically striking out kids um, and only pitching one inning at a time. You know, it's just the, the value isn't there as much there as people think it is, I guess is the short version. All right, Gaurav, give me one name that you could see making the list next time. Uh, and it can't be on the, the honorable mentions list either. So give me a guy that's, that you can see making the list the next time that we, that didn't make it this time. Oh man, you kind of screwed me by adding that last little part because my, I know, is... I know. We, we, we already wrote those guys up. So it's like, kind of like an extended <laughs> top 30 anyway. Uh, it's really tough because the only one I could really see, I, I, do, I just don't think there's much movement in this list that's going to happen anytime soon because the back end is, is filled with a bunch of people straight out of high school. So you're going to have to have a just a massive, massive jump as a prospect to be able to to take over there. I mean, I think the easiest route would probably have to be if someone like Caden Morton, you know, has a rough go at it and doesn't show his hit tool again, but he's still super young, so I, I wouldn't even move him off the list. But if that were to happen, then you can make a case for someone like an Indigo Diaz, even though he is a reliever, because he is just – striking everyone out like he will his his outings are hilarious because it'll be like 12 pitches 10 strikes three outs three k's like he's he's been overpowering and then and, and so then he points at the and then and then he points at the um who called the you know <laughs> call, who didn't call checks moments, it really was uh, i recall uh yeah i mean i i would have to say it probably but he's even on the honorable honorable uh, mentions list so maybe someone like uh like a Brooks Wilson, who's been fantastic for Mississippi. You know, if if I can't choose, it'd have to probably be him because, again, reliever that's done extremely well for Mississippi. Uh, he's definitely put himself on a lot of a lot of radars with his two pitch arsenal. He's done well. He's doing it at a high level. So, if I had to choose someone not on the list, I have to go with him. Uh, that's definitely a good one. Again, it's kind of getting into that reliever group or because I think that we've accounted for most of the position players that have real value. Like I can, I guess I could like squint my eyes and see a world where like Drew Lugbauer and Grayson Janista hit consistently for long enough to remove the trust issues that I have with those two particular players to maybe include them on the back end of a list. Um, you know, I'm, you know, we're basically seemingly completely off CJ Alexander for good reason. It seems like he can't really hit at all. Um, so, but, you know, like guys like Janista and Lugbauer, Lugbauer's had a good year this year for Mississippi, in fairness to him. Uh, but positionally, he needs to be able to hit a whole ton now to actually justify an inclusion in the top 30. But, you know, he's had a good year. You know, Janista's had his moments, but again, you know, I've been hurt by that guy before. Uh, another guy that seems like the Braves really, really like and who's had a pretty good season is Cody Milligan. Is another guy that I would mention is kind of a guy who could like play his way onto the list. You know, just talking to a couple of scouts and things like that, that seems like that the Braves really do like that guy. 
Uh, and he's had a good year too. So it's kind of another guy who could probably maybe sneak into the back end. But I think you're generally right is that we've already kind of, once we have the honorable mentions, we have a list of like probably 15 guys at the bottom there that are like fairly inexperienced, but also high, like high ceiling guys that'll be kind of hard to kind of force your way in. This is, uh, like, especially by like the, our next preseason list. Uh, things can change a whole bunch once we get into the midseason next year because so much information changes. But uh, that's where I kind of would uh, would land on that. So uh, in terms of the other end of the spectrum, who do you, who could you see falling off the list coming like this next go around? Yeah. So again, the back end of our list is so young, and it's mainly the 2021 draft class that like I, I don't foresee a real place where any of them drop. If I had to pick one person, it's most likely, and I don't think it's going to happen because I don't. I just don't think he's. Uh, a, I just don't think he's a bad pitcher at all. So I don't see him dropping. It'd have to be Hayden Deal. That's really the only person on the back end of the list that would make sense that we would potentially drop off the off the rankings. Everyone else, we're not going to move someone like Tyler Collins down just because he has like a 600 OPS and and rookie ball next year. You you know the tools are there and it's going to be his first full professional season. So there's only one real person at risk. And at the same time, I think he's firmly, I think he's firmly on that list. I don't think he's going to be going anywhere. Yeah. I I was going to go with deal as well. And it's simply because, you know, he's an older guy. And, you know, if he has like a really bad last month of the season, I could see other higher ceiling guys coming up. Um, another guy to think about too is it sounds like William Woods is going to be starting when he comes back, which I was frankly surprised by, or at least there's a possibility that happens. And if that's the case, like then you start wondering, you know, who ends up getting bumped off the list for a guy like that if he performs well. Um, but a guy like Deal seems like the easy answer. If he has a bad month, I could see him falling off the list. Uh, I could see a world where if Jesse Lucas La Cruz is actually hurt and, uh, you know, has to miss time and has some, some sort of surgery. I could see him falling off the list because now you're kind of getting into, he's been on the roster, the 40 man roster now. You wonder what his future is going forward. You wonder about his future as a reliever. If he's also hurt, I could see him falling off entirely. Uh, but a lot of these young guys like, you know, Smith Shaver, Don, you know, Conley, Shoemaker, all these guys, those guys, you know, again, Cade Morton's probably the most likely of them just because he's at the very bottom of the list. But overall, I think that it's more likely that like a guy who's been around for a while and like Deal or De La Cruz ends up losing his spot than versus any of the young guys. Uh, one last question before we let everyone go. Uh, who do you see is the biggest mover up or down the next time we make our rankings? So if we're talking preseason, yep, that's just that's a that's a super super tough question. It really depends on how, because you know the 2021 class probably isn't going to be playing too much. Um, I would personally like to think that Justin Henry Malloy, you know, shows out the end of the year, shows that he is a legitimate prospect. Uh, I really really like his talent level. The biggest question is is that hit tool. I think he's firmly a, somewhere in – I think he's a good enough defender at third, so he should be able to stay there. He's got power. He's got good amount of, a good amount of speed. So if he's really able to show that, I think he has the best case for any of us to – or at least for me, to have him jump somewhere in the 20s just because college – He's got good experience, played in a good conference, played extremely well, uh, especially at the end of the season when the the competition was ramping up as well. Uh, and he's got the tools to really make a case for it, as, uh, you know, on top of that. So if I had to pick one person, I think the rest, you know, 
any of those guys, like you said, like we talked about earlier, any of these guys can go up and down uh, after the, you know, the top six or eight. After that, anyone could be, you can make a case for any of those guys to be higher or lower. Uh, but yeah, I, I, in my gut, I have to go uh, Henry Malloy with this one. Yeah, this is a tough one for me. I think that the, some of the easy bets is from that 21-21 draft class because, like, any of those guys comes out and really shows out. You kind of feel like you need to include that uh, and, like, you know, evaluate that closely. Um, so if, like, a guy is, like, you know, comes in and just, like, rakes for, like, f- for a month, you know, you have to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt, but you have to wonder maybe the Braves found something there too. Uh, and our rankings are so fluid that I don't feel necessarily bad about putting a guy, like, in the early 20s. Uh, and then they kind of disappoint me and then they fall off the list. I just don't feel that bad about it, right? It's just, it's kind of a, these, these are snapshots in time. They're not necessarily, you know, kind of where we think their future value could be. They're not necessarily hard and fast. Like once this guy's in the spot, then he's just going to be in that spot and slowly adjust it up to, up and down. Uh, I kind of like that our list is dynamic. Uh, I could see Makai. Uh, falling a bit. Um, I, I know that the, there's a lot of love amongst our staff for him, but I think the, one of the realities is, is that if he continues to struggle in the FCL, I mean, he was a 2019 draftee, and at some point he needs to be able to hit consistently. So, you know, and then again, that's something that can change pretty quickly. You know, like if we move, if he gets moved down into the, you know, mid to late 20s somewhere, uh, and then he comes back and he, you know, in full season ball and he's, you know, ends up raking, then you just put him back, you know, put him right back up there. So we still like Makai a lot, but he seems like a guy that I would target as a guy that could move down. Uh, I don't know. So this is a tough way to define this for me, but I think the move into the top 10 is always a big jump. And I'm looking at my rankings right now. And I regret not putting Vaughn Grissom in the top 10. And part of that is just kind of the, well, how big, big, a big jump in how like the power output and kind of how much better his swing and his approach has been at the plate over the last couple of weeks. Like it seems like something really clicked and he's really figured something out. Uh, you know, was hurt a little bit this year, you know, has always kind of been demonstrating a hit tool, but it was a lot of ground balls. And now it seems like he's lacing line drives. He's hitting a bunch of home runs. Like if I'm thinking like the jump as like that jump into the top 10 being really significant, especially with like guys like Tucker Davidson's hurt, Spencer Schwellenbach's hurt, we're not 100% certain what we're going to get out of Schuster. Like, that would be the move that I think, in terms of our next list, I, I mean, again, it might not be the biggest jump in the rankings we might see, depending on what happens over the next month or two and then what news we get out of Instructs. But that move, I feel like, is very likely. Uh, and I think you'd agree there. But also that that jump is a very hard one to make when you're talking about the talent level that you're kind of, the guys that you're kind of jumping. Does that make sense? 100%. I think at the beginning of the year, all of us identified Vaughn as our probably our our sneaky pick that's going to have a great year and move up in those rankings. I I didn't think he would be a top ten, but he's one hundred percent played like a top ten prospect, especially over the past I think it's like five five and a half weeks because he started hitting hitting for a lot more power, especially after that you know whatever injury he had, he came back with a with a vengeance. So yeah, I, I really like that idea. If if you're saying that jump to the top ten in terms of prospect, you know. Depth. Yeah, just uh, that, that 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 jump is hard. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's that's a big one. Then I I really like that. I really like your answer then because it, it's, it's got to be easily Vaughn then. Yeah, and again, like there's a lot of variability at the bottom of the list in terms of like like in the end, who knows? Maybe like some you know maybe Cable Caleb Durbin comes out and like plays all of his way to Double A uh, next year, and all of a sudden we're like, wow, he's a top ten guy. Who would have thought that was going to happen? Or something like that. That that seems like something like that happens every year. So we'll we'll kind of see if that actually comes to fruition. But uh, Spencer Schreier, looking at you, buddy, uh, came out of nowhere as our top six prospect. Who would have thought that was going to happen? Uh, Karab, before we let folks go, is there anything else you want to share? 
No, man, it was just, it was great working with you guys this year. Great being able to do this once again, have a full season, almost have a full season of, of, of minor league baseball, being able to get in fights with people on, in the comment section. It's just been great. I'm, I'm so glad it's back. Oh, the comment section. Oh, goodness gracious. I haven't even bothered to look at Facebook because, frankly, you know, that's like <laughs> where, where human toilets go to comment. But, um, so, but, <laughs> But anyways, uh, we really appreciate it. I mean, I, I make fun of our readers sometimes because I think a lot, sometimes they can be quite silly, but we really do appreciate all the support on the, both on the podcast here, uh, on the podcast stream in general, as well as on the articles. I mean, like we, we take a lot of pride in what we do. We work really hard to kind of at least get close, you know, we at least represent our views well and try our best to be right as much as humanly possible. And it's from the support of, our readers that has kind of made that possible. And we hope that we can continue to do this for many, many years to come. Cause uh, again, this is kind of a highlight of our years, making these lists, making these rankings, because it's a combination of a lot, a lot of hard work. It's a lot of watching minor league games. It's a lot of talking to a lot of people. So we want to thank you all for that. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you need to do so. All you have to do is look for talking chop on whatever your preferred podcast purveyor is. Uh, and you get on that stream. Not only do you get this podcast, which normally follows up on Mondays, we've had some scheduling weirdness with the draft and also with this list coming out. I also had some conflicts this week. Unfortunately, uh, I have my stepson start college and my, my daughter had her first week of school this week, so it was a little bit dicey, but you know, we were a little bit late and it made a little bit more sense to kind of be able to talk about the list in the past tense as it rolled out anyway. So, but normally it comes out every Monday and this is a minor league podcast and you also get the talking shop flagship program hosted by the great Brad Roland most days. Uh, this week, oddly enough, it's going to be hosted by yours truly as well as Scott Coleman. Uh, but, uh, generally speaking, Brad's the one that kind of runs the show over there. And we also have a new podcast that's been rolling out almost daily, which is the Daily Hammer hosted by Sean Coleman, uh, which is kind of a, kind of a daily sort of update as to what's going on in Braves, in Braves land. So you can kind of get your quick podcast fix while you're waiting for the two longer programs to drop in, at different times during the week. So really appreciate all the support on the podcast as well as all the support on over on the site at TalkingChop.com. Make sure you follow Garav at GVDAC on Twitter. You can also follow myself at Leprechaun with a K on Twitter. And until next time, we'll see you on the road.